0: Grace and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord, our Savior Jesus Christ, my dear brothers and sisters in Christ. The word of God for meditation on this 12th Sunday after Pentecost is the psalm of the day, Psalm 73, and I'm reading from the second half and reading down to uh, what are really famous words from the end of our psalm today. This is what the wicked are like. Always free of care, they go on amassing wealth, Surely in vain I have kept my heart pure and I have washed my hands in innocence. All day long I have been afflicted and every morning brings new punishments. If I had spoken out like that, I would have betrayed your children. When I tried to understand all this, it troubled me deeply till I entered your sanctuary, the sanctuary of God. Then I understood their final destiny Yet I am always with you. You hold me by my right hand. You guide me with your counsel, and afterward you will take me into glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Those who are far from you will perish. You destroy all who are unfaithful to you. But as for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the sovereign Lord my refuge. I will tell of all your deeds. This is the word of the Lord. A man spends his whole life in the pursuit of learning to obey God, to Follow him more nearly, love him more dearly, see him more clearly day by day. He recites the commandments, he recites the creed, he he, he gets up in the morning praying, he goes to bed at night praying, he adds to his prayers at, at mealtimes, he invites his family to, to, to share in the prayers as well. He spends time in the word of God every day, letting sometimes a, a phrase Uh, a, A half a verse as we're going to in a little bit or or even a single word percolate in his mind and 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 fill his heart and change and broaden and deepen his understanding of God's will in his life he intentionally wants to craft words and the language that he uses so that he would never offend God or his fellow man but then he can't help but notice There are evil men and wicked women and unbelieving people all around him who all seem to be better off than he is. And he begins to think, why do I bother? Why am am, am I enduring this, this suffering, this persecution? What am I getting out of all of this? Couldn't I just maybe cut a corner? Maybe just a spiritual corner and make a little progress in my life, in my finances, in my social life, in my, uh, in my, maybe uh, the reputation that I have in, in the world. And everybody, all these sinners around me, they all seem to be happy and I'm just miserable. All day long, he says in the psalm, I'm afflicted and every day I get punished. And all of these things begin to make him wonder, should I give up on God or should I kind of ease back on my spiritual life? Because, you know, the wicked prosper. Well, in our psalm, the, the writer, whose name is Asaph, he's one of my favorite Bible writers, especially one of my favorite psalm writers, Asaph admits that he has stumbled almost into despair over this very thing, that the wicked seem to prosper. Asaph says, I'm beginning to think that crime really does pay. What do we get out of serving the Lord if the wicked are rewarded as they seem to be? Should I give up on my faith because the wicked get ahead? Well, the wicked people that Asaph is describing are very similar to many of the people today who have no regard for God, no fear of God, no love or faith in God. These people even brag about their sins. They want to carry you and me along in their sinfulness. Remember, remember, we're not going to learn theology from these people, and theirs is the worst of all. Because in their twisted way of thinking, they appear to believe that, you know, if I, if I can get that Christian over there to behave the way that I behave, then he's forgiven, and if he messes up, then maybe I have a chance of being forgiven too. That's just completely twisted and backwards, isn't it? I said we're not going to learn any theology from this kind of mentality, but this theology of of, uh, salvation through temptation is as useless and ridiculous as salvation through good works or through trying to balance my sins with my good deeds or salvation by saying, at least I'm not as bad as that guy or, or something like that. They, this is an individual who always wants to lead you away from Christ. Don't forget that. Whether he understands it or not, he's being used by Satan to lead you away from Jesus. Let's think about Jesus for a second. Um, at the wickedness and the wicked people that surrounded him. And yeah, there were people like King Herod and his sons and there were the scribes and the Pharisees and the Romans and and so forth. But let's get in tight around that inner circle around Jesus and remember that there was even a disciple, an apostle, one of God's special messengers. And uh, we would call him maybe an emissary or an ambassador for Jesus, Judas Iscariot, who fell into sin and who betrayed his Lord You know, Judas was there when Jesus was performing miracles, heard Jesus preaching the gospel, preaching the Sermon on the Mount, preaching his parables. Jesus had taken Judas and the other 11 off on those intimate moments when he would teach them separately and then set them aside to explain the gospel. And then Jesus sent them out two by two, including Judas, to go and preach the gospel, to heal people, And to drive out demons. And and Judas did those things. All the apostles came back telling Jesus about what they had done. So Judas had preached the gospel to people who believed. And Judas had healed people who were really sick. And Judas drove out demons who were really possessing people and made their lives better. And yet he himself was, well, fell into what? Greed. Overpowered by by Satan and by covetousness. Who knows what Judas had in mind when he betrayed Jesus? I've wondered about this. Maybe I've talked about it on a Good Friday, but Judas seems to have had this idea that if I betray Jesus, uh, it's going to be okay. That if I betray Jesus, I, I saw him escape from uh, his own townspeople in Nazareth when they were going to throw him off a cliff. And he survived, and maybe he had it in his mind that if I betray him, he'll escape, I'll get paid, then I can betray him again, and then he'll escape, and I'll get paid, and again, and again. But the very first time he tried it, Jesus gave in. Jesus let himself be arrested and put to death. And Judas realized the depth of his sin, right then and there, it doesn't pay to be wicked. The devil is never your friend. And Asaph who is the author of our Psalm, says something about this as he contemplates wickedness, he understands wickedness too. And how did he come to that understanding? Well, he tells us on the very verge of falling into despair and of getting up on God, Asaph did something. He says, I entered your sanctuary, O God. Asaph was in the sanctuary of God every day. This wasn't a new thing for him. Asaph was a Levite and a temple musician. I should say a tabernacle musician. The temple hadn't been built yet because Asaph lived and was one of the head musicians in the days of King David. And so the the, the marble temple wasn't built, but David had moved the cloth tabernacle up onto Mount Zion. And that's where they were worshiping. And Asaph went in there, but instead of picking up his, his musical instrument, as he usually did Asaph just stood and listened and watched what was going on, listened to what was being said, and he observed. And, and, and there were, well, basically three things that happened in there. People would come and, and pray, and there would be music while that was happening, or they would bring a sacrifice. And the priest would announce the forgiveness of sins. So he would have watched somebody bringing a sacrifice, maybe a great big basket filled with... Oh, food or bread and wine and salt never come before the Lord empty-handed. The book of Exodus tells us that's one of the reasons why we still encourage each other to bring offerings when when we come to worship. And and every week, whether it's online or whether it's in our our baskets, but that individual comes with a thank offering. And then somebody else would come with maybe a sin offering. And, And, of course, all the offerings pointed to one thing, didn't they? Every offering that happened pointed ahead to Jesus. And so somebody comes in with an animal and a tether. And the priest inspects it and sees, yes, okay, four legs, two eyes. It it can hear and it, you know, tests the... Okay, it's healthy and it's whole. And then what do they do? They slaughter it right there. They catch the blood. They throw the blood against the altar. And then they arrange the animal's meat on the altar just so. And Asaph says... I understand this animal is, is, is prefiguring the Savior that's been prophesied since the days of Moses and Aaron, 400 years before Asaph's time, 1,000 years before the Savior finally came now to Asaph. And he said, as, he, as he stands quietly watching what's going on, he sees the illustration being carried out, and he knows the Lamb of God will be sacrificed for my sins. And that's exactly what happened. They brought Jesus in to be inspected by the chief priests. And they, they, they hated him. That was the problem with their evaluation. But they still couldn't come up with a reason why he was guilty of anything. Finally, the Holy Spirit tells us it had to be the highest authority in the land of all people, a Gentile, Pontius Pilate, who declares in the Gospel of Mark three times... I find no fault in this man. And yet Jesus, holy and perfect as he was, was carried out to be slaughtered with the words of the high priest prophesying about this, still hanging in the air. It is better for you that one man die for the people than that the whole nation perish. And like some unclean thing, Jesus was escorted, really driven out of the city to a hill out there where he would be given a criminal's death they arranged his flesh on the altar of the cross just so and they didn't just let it sit there what did they do to him they nailed his flesh so it wouldn't move at all and then through the through the through the wounds in his hands and feet and the blood was running and through the crown of thorns on his head the blood was was coming and And through the the openings, the lacerations all over his back from having been whipped at the beginning of John chapter 19, he was bleeding everywhere. And I'm sure that the blood ran out on all sides of the altar of the cross. And through his death, he fulfilled every one of the prophecies about the Lamb of God in Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms, and that Jesus had proclaimed himself. And Asaph goes on to say, Then I understood. Now I get it. The fate of the wicked is that they are removed completely from the sacrifice, the atoning crucifixion of Jesus Christ. Those who reject Jesus whose sins he was paying for, have said no to him and therefore carry their own sins into hell with them where they will be punished as Jesus was punished and worse with all of their own sins on their heads for all eternity. And then Asaph chants the words or sings or speaks them words that I hope you will take home with you today and treasure always. I'd like you to say them after me. Because he says this short half verse. Whom have I in heaven but you? Will you say that with me? Whom have I in heaven but you? And in saying that. Asaph does not mean, I don't have anybody in heaven, like a a new freshman up at the college who doesn't know anybody on campus and is thinking, oh, I'm so lonely, I, I don't know anybody, and I'm getting homesick already. No, Asaph means something different. He says, whom have I in heaven? It's you! Sir, he has other people in heaven. His mom, his dad, his his. His beloved uncles and aunts and maybe, maybe a sibling or a childhood friend who, who was called home early. But, but yes, he knows all kinds of people who are in heaven. But guess what? Heavenly Father, I have you. And you and I have the same Holy Father in heaven. None other than the very same Lord Jesus Christ, crucified to pay the full penalty for our sins. Jesus waiting for us, having prepared a room for us. This weekend, uh, I, I, oh, that was, uh, what day was it? Thursday, I suppose. Uh, I had to take my son Peter up to the college campus for the beginning of his eight years of studying for the pastoral ministry. And I saw something happen up at MLC that I've been to many college campuses for opening day, and I've never seen that before in my life. What happened was we got there, and like the angels of God, there were students already waiting for the car, knowing who we would be and knowing what time we were going to get there, prepared for us, welcoming my son by name. Hi, Peter. I know where your room is. And then they swooped in. I I I I lost count of how many there were and unloaded the car before I could blink an eyelash. And uh, some football player picked up his fridge and ran up the stairs with it. And, and just set everything down. And here it is. And here it is. And welcome to MLC. And, 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 and that pales in comparison to what you and I will experience when the angels take us to heaven. And we are welcomed by Jesus and by countless Individuals, angel and human who will welcome us home. Welcome. I know exactly where your room is. I've got all your stuff. Let me carry that for you. Here it is. God bless you. I turn down the covers and there is a chocolate or a mint or whatever you want on the pillowcase. We're glad to have you here. Knowing this, Asap, who just said, I get it now. He realizes this temptation of, of giving up on God because the going gets tough in this lifetime. When we face this problem of the wicked seem to, seeming to get ahead in this life that maybe crime pays, that serving God's just too hard to do. No, those, are, those things are just a devil hissing in your ear. Ignore what he says because God is always with you. Because even when we have slipped and fallen into the temptation of thinking, why bother? Jesus comes and invites us. Trust in me. I've paid for your sins. I'm looking after you. And remember that your baptism isn't something that along the way since then you've wrecked. Your baptism still counts. Your baptism is still complete. Your baptism still covers every single sin you will ever commit in your whole life through. You still today are as holy and as perfect and pure and forgiven as you were when you lay there at the font in, your, in, in loving arms with the beads of your baptismal water still on your forehead, and the pastor's words still echoing in the sanctuary, in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. And those loving arms that held you, whether parents or godparents or whomever they were, they were simply standing in place of God, who has been holding you ever since. Your sins are forgiven. You are at peace with God, and you have a place with God forever. In that forgiven state, go now today and live a life that says thank you to God. Encourage your family and the people that you love with the word of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ. Model your faith. Set an example for people. Pray at home with your family. And, 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 and if they're not in the room, call them in. We're going to pray now because it's, it's, it's dinner time. We're going to maybe say a little piece of the catechism or I've got a passage. Or, you know what? Tell me what your confirmation verse was. And now we're going to pray. And if you live alone, maybe you have a pet, whether it's Fido or whether it's Fifi or whether it's Felix the goldfish, pray with them too, practice your faith. They don't, they don't need faith, they know who their creator is better than most of us with souls. And yet thank you Jesus for, for this food too, even if it's just flakes I'm putting into the fishbowl. And if you don't have a pet and don't have family with you right now, and you really feel completely alone, How do you begin the Lord's Prayer? What's that first word? Not my, our Father. Because you're not alone. Because you're part of the family and the community of believers your whole life through. And even if you were the last believer on earth, you would still pray our Father because of the innumerable Christians and angels who wait for us at Jesus' side in heaven. So model your faith by considering the kinds of words you're going to use today. How should I respond when my buddy at work, you know, exaggerates and then takes the Lord's name in vain? And, you know, if you don't have the courage or the wherewithal right now to stand up to that buddy and say, you know, that's my Savior's name you're using? Please don't use it that way. At least you can not acknowledge it or you can simply not repeat it and don't laugh. It is true that those who choose not to take the Lord's name in vain will be better respected than those who do. But that's not why we avoid foul language and coarse jokes and and cursing and swearing. We avoid it because God asks us to, because God commands us to in the second commandment. And it's more than, it wouldn't have to be, but it's just about God's name but about language itself and and, and communication. This gift that God has given us to be a tool, it should be a tool for the gospel and for love and not for the devil's foolishness and for hate or for lies. Asaph, at the end of the Psalm, Asaph is almost out of breath. He says, he really sighs and quotes from, I think, Joshua and he says, as for me, it is good to be near God. What better future could we hope for? What better right now, present day, could we possibly express? What better truth can we share? Love one another and share the joy and the, and the blessedness and the forgiveness and the promise of Jesus Christ, who is the strength of our hearts. Amen. Amen. And the peace of God that transcends our understanding guards our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus.